I don't label these shows beyond the actual title, but this is going to be Optimistic Monday because the Ducks still have all their major goals in play in 2023. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day in your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. If you have not already, please like, comment, subscribe, rate, review wherever you listen to or watch the show, which today is brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, use code Locked On College for $20 off your very first purchase. So, Let's get optimistic today. Saturday's show, I wasn't in the best of moods because Oregon lost the exact same game again to Washington. But every single goal that Oregon fans set out having at the beginning of this 2023 season, still within reach for the Ducks. If they went out, including the Pac-12 championship game, in all likelihood, they will be in the college football playoff. Remember, in 2014, when Oregon made the college football playoff, we lost the game at home to a good Arizona team, played them again in the Pac-12 championship game. That basically nullified the loss. Now, they won that game comfortably. I don't think we could beat Washington by that sort of margin, but certainly we're capable of beating Washington. As we all know, we're within about 90 seconds of doing so on Saturday. So that goal remains within reach. When you look at their schedule, right, they're going to fall in the rankings a little bit, but I think they performed so well and the game was so awesome that it's not going to be a crippling blow, right? It's not like USC who had fallen down to 10 and then in the new AP poll, I didn't see where they'd gone to, but certainly they should have fallen down a a decent ways because, well, they got housed by Notre Dame on the road. USC's down to 18, okay? Oregon's not going to plummet in the rankings like that. And we don't have the college football playoff rankings yet, but Oregon still, I think, should be inside the top 10. And that's a good place to be. Then you think about, well, okay, if that's where Oregon's going to be, how can they move up from there? Well, you need to have ranked wins available to you. Sadly, Washington State is no longer going to be a ranked win because they got blown out in, I I was so surprised at that outcome, by the way, on, on Saturday. They got beat badly, badly in Pullman against Arizona. Props to the Wildcats, but man, I didn't see that one coming at all. But you do have a solid win there if Oregon beats Washington State. Then your next two games are Utah and then Cal, but then USC. And you've got Oregon State and you've got Arizona State in there. So when I look at the way that Oregon has played this year, I feel that from a schedule standpoint, you're going to have an opportunity to put yourself into the college football playoff picture. And I also feel there's there's kind of a, a dual component to this take, that Oregon has the team that is capable of doing that. Because as frustrating as it was to lose to the Huskies, again, in heartbreaking fashion on Saturday. Oregon looks like a better football team than a season ago. They do. They do. That goal line stand, I I, I mean, that was outstanding. Outstanding from the defense, which I thought played significantly better. Guys were not running wide open. There were a lot of contested catches that the Husky receivers made. I'm going to get to some individual standouts later. I think we all know the number one guy who stepped up in a big spot was Triquist Bridges. I'll talk about that more later in the show. But the defense looks better. And that was their biggest test of the year. And I'm not going to say they passed it with an A+, but they certainly did everything they needed to to win the football game. No, they didn't get a final stop late. But guess what? 
They were put in a bad spot because Oregon didn't convert right around midfield. Washington is given the momentum and Washington is given a short field. So I thought the defense, particularly in the second half, played exceptionally well. They, they, they were not making things easy on Washington. The Huskies were making plays, but I mean, go look at Roma Dunze's touchdowns. He's not running open. Look at the touchdowns that happened last year, right? The one to tie the game late that Bennett Williams missed on. Guy was running open and, you know, went untouched in the end zone. That was too easy. The first one that Ben Williams gave up, over the top. Guys just wide open. In this game, Michael Penix had to make big throws. He did because he's really good. And the receivers had to make tough catches, and they did because they're really good. But I thought the secondary covered well. I thought the pass rush could still be better, but overall improved. The broadcasters were talking about how Michael Penix hadn't been under pressure like that all season long. I think Kalen DeBoer actually told uh, Holly Rowe going into the half or coming out of it that they hadn't faced a front like Oregon's this season. It was the most pressure they'd seen. Michael Penix got hit. Like There was only one sack in the game, but the pressure rate was significantly better than what I saw from a season ago. And we were wondering about the secondary. I thought they performed really well against the best receiving core in the country. We were wondering about the pass rush. It's clearly better. Not perfect. You would have liked to have seen a little bit more pressure in some spots, but Michael Penix had some throws. There was an interception and there were throws that were just uncompetitive because Penix doesn't move supremely well and wasn't moving well because we'd gotten some shots on him throughout the course of the game. So that defense, I think they could play really well against Washington State this week because the Cougs do not have a good offensive line. It's not even close to the level of Washington's. And I think Oregon's front seven is still really good. And I think the secondary is still good. And they played well. Holding Michael Penix, if you told me before the game, hey, we're going to hold Michael Penix to 300 passing yards, you know what I'd say? Probably winning the game. Guess what? Should have won the game. Didn't. Frustrating. But that goal is still there. Pac-12 championship, absolutely in play. And that plays into kind of a dual, uh, a, a second goal that Oregon fans, I think, had coming into the season. You know, win the Pac-12 championship, get to the college football playoff, all those were, were attainable goals coming into the year, and they remain attainable goals from a scheduling standpoint and a team caliber standpoint. But another one is beating Washington. I mean, we, we don't like losing to our rivals, right? Dan Lanning's 0-3 against the rivals this year. And guess what? There is a world, a very realistic world, in which Oregon and Washington play again in Las Vegas. That is not guaranteed. By, 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 I know everyone's going to want to jump there, but Oregon State's a good team. Caleb Williams is still really good. And I look at Utah and say, if Cam Rising is there, tough on the road, and that defense is nasty. It, it, it absolutely is. Now, do they scare me as much if it's Bryson Barnes? No, not nearly as much. It's still Utah, though. Kyle Whittingham is, is still really good, but they are not as scary of a team without Cam Rising. But we don't know when he's coming back. Maybe he will, maybe he won't. But I look at all of those goals, and they're still on the table. And that's the optimism today, is... It's not as if Oregon, you know, 2021, for instance, was a really disappointing end to the season, right? But it was disappointing because Oregon got housed by Utah twice in three weeks. And you went, this is the worst football team. They're, they're just not as good. I don't feel that way about Washington. I, I don't look at it and go, uh, Oregon needs another recruiting class. Oregon needs a couple more players here and there. No, that team right here, right now is capable of beating anybody and everybody in this conference and is capable of winning the rest of their games. It's not going to be a given. It is not going to be easy. My preseason regular season uh, record prediction for the Ducks was 10 and 2. I feel a lot better about them going 11 and 1 
It's not going to be a cakewalk, however. Things are not going to be as easy as they seem right now. But the confidence level that I have in Oregon going 11-1 and right now is higher than it was before the season. Because I've seen things that we talked about all offseason on paper playing out on the field. I see a better pass rush. I see a more physical front four. I see faster linebackers. I see better coverage in the secondary across the board. Of course, it doesn't get much better than Gonzo. But you know, holistically, this secondary is playing better than last year. I, I, I see guys who are returning from last year's team making a bigger impact. Taki Taimani, by the way, made the big play on that fourth down stop on the goal line. He he has been absolutely awesome this year. Dorless had the only sack. Birch had a couple pressures. The freshmen didn't have a great impact. It's tough for them to go up against Washington's tackles, uh, who were who were really good. But I liked what I saw defensively and offensively. I, I just don't have any questions. I, I don't have any questions. Some of you have questions about the play calling, though. Everybody's favorite thing to do. Josh Pate would lament that we are going to talk about play calling, but we are because I have thoughts on, yes, defensively, but mostly on the offensive side of the ball. How did our guy Will Stein do in his first big, big Pac-12 game? I thought he did well. I'll tell you why after I tell you about game time, which is the best way to get tickets to an event. Look, you shouldn't have to worry when you're buying tickets to your next big event. Because it just there's so many other things in life that can stress you out, that can make you worry, that can be difficult. At game time is the fast and easy way to get tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater events near you. Game time is the only ticketing app that gives you complete peace of mind with your purchase. See the view from your seat before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Download the Game Time app to take the guesswork out of buying tickets with Game Time. Create an account. Use code LOCKEDONCOLLEGE for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account. Redeem code L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N-C-O-L-L-E-G-E. That's LOCKEDONCOLLEGE for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets. Lowest price guaranteed. You know what prize picks guarantees that you're going to have fun because prize picks is the largest independently owned daily fantasy sports platform in North America. The easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. It's just you against the numbers. That's it. You don't have to battle thousands of other players, pros and sharks. You pick more or less than two to six player stat projections and then you watch the winnings roll in if you know you know what you're doing and whatnot. If you'd gone over Troy Franklin's receiving total, you probably would have hit on Saturday. Quick withdrawals, easy gameplay and an enormous selection of players and stat types are what make prize picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Go to prizepicks.com slash college. Use code LOCKEDONCOLLEGE for a first deposit up to $100. prizepicks.com slash college. Use that code LOCKEDONCOLLEGE for a first deposit up to $100. All righty. One moment, please. Just needed a moment for a little second segment sip. Okay. Mailbag time. If you want to be a part of the mailbag, a lot of ways to do that, YouTube or Twitter, or you can join the Locked On Ducks Insiders, where you get breaking news, the inside scoop, and exclusive content delivered directly to your phone, plus one-on-one conversations with me. Join the Locked On Ducks Subtext Insiders now and be in the know all the time. Go to subtext.com slash locked on ducks or click the link in the description below. This question came in from uh, Blazer Duck. A couple of different questions from a regular question asker. Haven't heard from you blazer duck in a little while nice to hear from you again he felt that at times the play calling was too vanilla on offense disagree very very much disagree so on the offensive side of the ball 
Oregon had uh, over 500 yards of total offense and scored 33 points on the road and had two instances in which they were held off the field on fourth down. Now, as I talked about on Saturday's show, the second fourth down try led to a touchdown shortly thereafter, so I don't really count that one. But, I mean, end of the half, Oregon was held without points. Dan Lanning said, yeah, maybe I should have taken a field goal there. And he's, you know, looking into how they assessed that stuff. They felt like they had a good play. Trust his guys. It just didn't come to fruition there. But I didn't feel that anything was wrong offensively with the way Will Stein was calling the football game. Oregon ran it for over five yards a carry against a good front seven. And Bucky Irving and Jordan James, talking about them a little bit later, those guys – those guys are beasts. Um, actually, that's coming on uh, at Tuesday's show, by the way, the individual standouts uh, as as usual. But I didn't think it was too vanilla. I didn't like – look, the fourth down play call didn't have a huge problem with, like there at the end on fourth and three. What I actually didn't like was the third and two play call. I didn't like running the ball there. So earlier in that drive, when Oregon was trying to get out of the shadow of their own end zone after the goal line stand – Dan Lanning and Will Stein made a really smart decision, especially Lanning, because he called a timeout. Oregon was going to run it on third and two. Lanning saw something he didn't like and called timeout, reminiscent of Kirby Smart calling the timeout before the Ohio State fake punt in the college football playoff last year. Got the timeout in. Oregon goes into a break, come out, and instead of running the football, get a little rub action with Terrence Ferguson, wide open first down. Washington was showing that same kind of look where they were selling out for the run on third and two. They'd done so on second and 10. Bucky Irving, just a man amongst boys, went out there and somehow made everybody miss and picked up eight yards. So I felt that going back to a concept of letting Bo Nix be able to make a play and taking Bo out of it, essentially, by just calling a straight run, I didn't care for that one. And then I understand what they were doing on fourth down. I mean, switch releases can be tough to defend, and there was going to be some space. Tez Johnson just didn't get out of his route clean because Washington defended it well. That sort of thing happens. That sort of thing happens. I I don't know that we should continue running sprint outs. We haven't really had a lot of success with them. Uh, The Terrence Ferguson one, I guess, sort of was. Um, But, you know, end of the first half, fourth and goal, and Troy Franklin is there, but Bo Nix doesn't let it go to the pylon. Tries to get him to go to the back of the end zone, and the sprint out you know, fails. And then the sprint out failed later in the game. So might they either need they either need to work on that, or or, or just kind of put that play uh, away for a little while. But I don't think they were uh, too vanilla on offense at all. I, I liked a lot of that play call. You know, they picked up two third downs earlier on that drive, and Oregon was good on third down in this game as a whole. So no, I didn't think it was too vanilla. You put up over 500 yards of offense. Yeah, I, I, I can't get behind that. Another thing there with with regards to Will Stein, because I've seen people talking about, you know, the play calling and this, that, and the other thing, and they should have done this, they should have done that. Look, I, I said on Saturday's show and still believe that at the end of the half, I thought the first play that Oregon called was outstanding. Refs missed a pass interference. Treshawn Olden had his arm held, didn't get the call, Right. But that play that is either going to give you a touchdown or an incompletion to stop the clock, I thought was a great call. And Bo made a great throw, and Holden just couldn't get his other hand up there in time because he was being held. Okay, that happens. I would have called a run on second or third and goal. I did not like Bucky Irving not touching the ball a single time 
in a red zone goal to go situation, either him or Jordan James, like Washington was not tackling those dudes. It was the same story as last year. They clearly don't tackle very well in the secondary in particular, but I mean, they were just so good with a timeout. I would have loved to see him run it there, but to Will Stein's credit, you know, for all the people who say, oh man, the play calling wasn't good. It was this and that on third and goal or on the second and goal. I think it was. Bo Nix has Treshawn Holden open in the flat. He would have had to make a guy miss, but if he does, he walks in for a touchdown. He at least is going to have a collision play at the goal line. And Bo Nix just kind of hurried the throw and couldn't put it right on him. And then on the fourth and goal, some people are saying, oh, I don't love the sprint out or anything. I get that. But that play was there. Bo Nix just didn't let it go. Like Bo had an outstanding game. He did not have a couple of outstanding sequences when Oregon got stuffed in those go-to-go situations. He he didn't. He played super well, got us in the field goal range, marched us down the field, over 500 500 yards of offense. He outthrew Michael Penix in the game from a yardage standpoint. He was over 330. He was really, really good. But in those particular moments, he did not make the plays and they were available to him. He just, nobody's perfect. He didn't make them right? When Oregon got stuffed the second time on fourth down, which as I've said, didn't really cost the Ducks a whole heck of a lot. Bo Nix wanted to go to Troy Franklin and we had in a one-on-one. If he'd made the correct read defensively and saw the man coverage, he would have hit Treshawn Holden, who was wide open over the middle for a touch. I mean, wide open. So I think anyone questioning Will Stein, I'm not a huge fan of it because in these crucial spots, he got guys open. Like the plays that he called they, they got players the opportunity to get the ball in space, and Bo, unfortunately, in those moments, just didn't get it to him at the time. So I uh, did not did not think that those moments were on Stein. And again, this switch release, I, I don't know if I love it because the sprint out takes away half the field, but it gives Bo kind of an opportunity to you know get on the run. There are a lot of different ways you can go there. But overall, we don't know enough as fans about play calling to get that much into the weeds. I think we do know enough to say, hey, you have a timeout, why not run the football once? I'm not saying twice, because that's too risky and then you gotta hurry and everything. But on second or third and goal, Oregon could have handed the ball off to Bucky Irving and I would have at least would have at least liked to have seen, okay, can you get a push, find a crease and he makes a guy miss and fights his way into the end zone like he did against Texas Tech, right? I mean, he was kind of hitting the backfield and he just dragged a guy across the goal line. So uh, no, I didn't think the play calling was too vanilla, generally speaking, and situational, situa- situationally, sorry, I think it was better than a lot of people are going to give it credit for. Defensively, why not blitz more on defense, he asks. Well, the the pressure rate was not bad, first of all. I'm not saying it was as good as I'd like it to be. It kind of came and went. It wasn't consistent. But against a good team like Washington that's got a great offensive coordinator and a good offensive line, you're not going to get pressure on every single play. It's not going to look like it did against Colorado. That's just not a reasonable standard. So why didn't they blitz more? Because then you leave voids in the secondary. You, You leave voids in the secondary where, where a blitzing defender comes from and, and giving more space to those wide receivers. That, that's, that's not a fantastic idea, generally speaking, because you just, if you don't get there, you know, there's going to be an opening somewhere. I didn't have an issue with the defensive game plan, the defensive play calling or, or execution for the most part. It, it, it was really just 
Washington made some plays. And in a game like this, with two high-caliber teams that are college football playoff and Pac-12 championship caliber uh, programs right now, that's what's going to happen. It's going to go back and forth. And it unfortunately, again, didn't go Oregon's way. But I, I, I didn't think they did anything wrong. I mean, allowing seven points until that final drive in the second half, like if Oregon converts that fourth and three, the defense walks away saying we allowed seven points in the second half. That's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome against that offense. And is one of the reasons I feel really good about Oregon's defense uh, this week and uh, going forward. He had one more question and then a question about Bo Nick specifically and the game that he played. Got to get to that. Got to get to Athletic Brewing because that's the best non-alcoholic beer you can find anywhere. Bo Nix was changing the game with big plays. Troy Franklin was changing the game. And Athletic Brewing Company has changed the game in the non-alcoholic beer space. Because they make non-alcoholic beers that actually taste good. They're great tasting, award-winning. They beat out full-strength beers in global competitions. I don't have much left in my fridge because I keep drinking them. They're really outstanding. And they're fit for all times. You can be watching a big game, be watching your kid's game, work, working out all the time. And you don't have any hangovers as well. No hangovers ever. First-time customers can use code Locked On. Get 15% off your first online order. That's code L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N at checkout for 15% off at athleticbrewing.com. Near beer, exclusions, and conditions apply. Athletic Brewing Company, fit for all times. All righty. Let's finish up today's uh, show of optimism, right? That's what we're labeling it. This final question from Blazer Duck. Why didn't Oregon, with 138 left in the game, try and push the ball down the field? It looked like they were content with just getting into field goal range and putting all the pressure on our kicker to tie it up. We have Bo Nix, a Heisman Trophy candidate, and we didn't ever try to move the ball down the field for the win. Uh, I, I, I don't agree that they weren't trying to. It's that Washington was literally sitting on a deep cover three, and you have to move the ball down the field, and at the very least get yourself into field goal range. I thought the first couple of plays were a little bit too close to the line of scrimmage, and that hurt Oregon later in the drive. But eventually, you know, they took completions, right? There was the completion of Tferg and the play that, you know, the end of that, not, 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 not a huge fan of what I suspect but cannot confirm uh, was going on there. And I, I think for Oregon, they moved the ball down the field and – that's all you can really hope for in that sense. Like, it's not reasonable to say like, oh, well, you should have been able to, you know, get a shot to go to the end zone. No, setting up a 42-yard field goal, that's pretty darn good. Like, they, they, they did well. And if you go watch two-minute drills elsewhere in college football or the NFL, that's what a lot of it looks like, is the defense sitting off and the offense saying, okay, there's seven yards. Okay, there's eight. Hey, here's a run up the middle. We snuck for 12. Hey, there's another completion for 15. That's how you move the ball down the field. And you don't force the ball because you're just trying to get to overtime at that point, right? Like that's the first goal is you have to make sure you can do that. And then if the opportunity presents itself, you go for the touchdown and you go for the win. But Washington was sitting with three deep defensive backs to take away anything down the field. And if you're Bo Nix, you have to ensure that you give your team a chance. He gave Camden Lewis a chance. Ball was straight away, 42 yards, and he just pushed it. He just, uh, he just pushed it, unfortunately. So, speaking of Bo Nix, this is from Duck2081A. Tough loss. Agree with the calls, except at the end of the half series. Left a timeout in the bag. Yeah, that's why I didn't like not running the ball. Like, he took that timeout with you? For what? Nothing. Question. With Bo at quarterback, does Coach Lanning have too much faith in him 
to make the play? If we had a different quarterback, does that change his thought process like the way they fought back being 11 down? Well, one thing that I am coming to love about Bo Nix is the guy is the same player in the first quarter and in the fourth quarter. Like on that drive, I was thinking, I wonder if Bo's going to go down and get us a touchdown but he's at least going to be able to move the offense down the field and get them into field goal range, which he did. I mean, that's all he has ever done. And it looks like that's all he's going to do as he plays out his final season of college football at Oregon. Like even thinking to last year's Washington game, he had to come out for that series or else I think Oregon probably moves the ball down the field and kicks a game winning field goal. Cause when he came back out on the field after Washington had gone ahead last year, Bo Nix almost got down into field goal range and he had like 20 seconds. He had like 30 seconds to to get it there. And they were able to put themselves in a position to set up a Hail Mary, which unfortunately came up short. But I, I just look at what Bo has done and no, the execution was not perfect at all times in this game. But at the end of the day, do you want a head coach who doesn't believe in a quarterback that is a Heisman Trophy candidate? Would you be happy if if you were taking the ball out of Bo Nix's hands? I don't love the execution. I respect the mentality. And, and, and I think I like the mentality as well of, hey, this is our guy. This is our leader. We're all in on him. He's moving us up and down the field. He's making plays. We've got to be able to trust him to make a big play in a big spot for us. And he has many times this season and many times last season. And unfortunately, in a couple key spots, like I mentioned, end of the half, Troy Franklin is there. He's got separation and Bo Nix just doesn't let it go. That's a mistake. That one is on Bo Nix. It's not on Will Stein. He missed a touchdown to Treshawn Holden. But on the fourth and three, the play call wasn't quite there. But how about on the other two third downs on that drive? Bo Nix gets to Terrence Ferguson in the flat. Bo Nix throws up a really well-judged 50-50 ball to Troy Franklin, who makes a heck of a play on it. I mean, these guys are in a spot where they're experienced and talented enough to put themselves into those situations. Does Dan Lanning have too much faith in Bo Nix? Maybe after that game you could argue yes, but I'd rather a guy have too much faith than too little and not give him an opportunity. Dan said, hey, we believe in Bo. We believe in our offense that these guys can go make a play. And he's he's got the belief on that sideline and in that locker room because he keeps making these decisions and Oregon keeps fighting back. I'll close with this. After Oregon was stunned by Washington's season go at Autzen, they came back and a hobbled Bo Nix, who we didn't even think was going to play, picked up one of the best wins of the Dan Lanning era, and that was beating Utah at home. I think there are still big things possible for this team in 2023. I like what I've seen on both sides of the ball. I like the team. Special teams can still get a little bit better. But overall, this team can still do a lot. No more margin for error. Can't have another loss. But this team is capable of going 6-0 in its next six games. We'll just have to see. Appreciate everyone listening. I'll see you next time. Have a wonderful rest of your day. And go Ducks.